Hello everyone and welcome to the very first episode of the Brew with Beckham podcast powered by 92 Degrees. Now this podcast is going to be dropping every Monday. It will be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and if for some reason you want to have a look at my ugly mug, it will also be on YouTube. So make sure you go and check that out. I do think they're best watched on YouTube because you can see the reactions and the uh, body language of myself and the guests and you get a better feel for what's going on. Um, my guest today is Rachel Burford. She is the current Harlequins captain and an England rugby legend. We have a great conversation about her illustrious on-field career, as well as the incredible work she's doing off the pitch. And Burf also gets the chance to throw a few teammates under the bus in uh, everyone's favourite game, teammates, which is a lot of fun, and we get into a lot of other conversations around that as well. Um, I think it's a great chat, a great listen, and I really do hope you enjoy it. Um, if you do, please feel free to leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. It really does make a difference. Uh, but before we start, as I said at the beginning of this intro, this is the Brew Beckett podcast powered by 92 Degrees, and just have to have a quick moment to say a huge thank you to 92 Degrees. Um, through their Powered By initiative, they are giving sports people, creative people, people who want to express themselves, like myself, through this podcast, the ability to do that, and we really wouldn't be able to do it at all without their continued support. Uh, they are absolutely brilliant, and you need to go and check them out on Twitter, on Instagram, and at www.92degrees.coffee. Uh, check out their stuff, check out what they're doing. Um, an unbelievable company who make unbelievable coffee. It honestly is the best coffee I have tasted at home. And if you want to order any of it for yourself or any equipment around coffee, basically anything that you need for your coffee needs, they'll have it there for you. And if you use the code BWB20 when you check out, you will get 20% off. That's BWB20 for 20% off anything at 92 degrees. Um, but without further ado... This is Rachel Burford, and this is the Brewer Beckett Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Brewer Beckett Podcast, powered by 92 Degrees. I am your host, Charlie Beckett, and today I'm joined by, well, there's no other way to describe her really than English rugby royalty, a true legend of the game. I am, of course, referring to Rachel Burford. Berth, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. That was a nice introduction. Not sure well, it's completely true, but... <laughs> well, no, I'm going to show you how true it is, because the first thing I've got to do is run through your quite remarkable CV. So if we start on field... Tell me if any of this is wrong, because the internet okay. can get things wrong sometimes. But I've got down, you're the current Harlequins captain. You have played for England Sevens, representing them at the 2009 and 2013 World Cups. You have 84 caps for the England 15-a-side team, and you went to the 2006, 2010, 2014 and 2017 World Cup, including winning the 2014 one. Is that correct? That's correct, you're doing that's, well. That's just on-field. Then off-field, you co-host the Women's Rugby Pod. You are a columnist for Rugby Pass. You are the founder of Girls Rugby Club. And then from an individual point of view, in 2014, you won the RPA England Women's Player of the Year. And in 2017, you won the International RPA Merit Award alongside a slightly well-known uh, New Zealand man called Richie McCall. <laughs> yeah, you got most of that right. I'm it's, impressed. So if that isn't a legendary CV on and off field, I don't know what is. It does give the challenge, though, as a host, of where do I start with that? So where I want to start is where all the best stories start, which is right at the beginning. So can you tell me, please, what's your first memory of rugby? Oh, um, probably just being at the rugby club in, like, a building with lots of men around and... Yeah, like cold, cold weekends. Like I fit like even before I even started playing, I was always down at Medway Rugby Club, and I just remember, um, you know, the games going on because there's a set of woods just behind the rugby club, and me and my friends we used to go behind the woods and we used to climb on the container. I mean, we weren't meant to, or climb up the trees and then watch the games from there. So, like really good, like um, first sort of memories growing up. It really reminds me of like family time. Yeah, like, I think it's very similar for mine. My, my, you said Medway Rugby Club's your club there. Mine was at Waterloo, and just all my memories are of watching Dad and then being in the clubhouse and Mum, my grandparents. Just It's such a family feel. And, like you say, those, those cold, wet weekends where 
you're dragged down to rugby club but actually looking back they're the best ways to spend um yeah. spend a weekend um you said before you started playing so what age did you start playing so i started playing when i was six when um at that time when you were first there was first initiatives like now you can obviously start a bit younger but yeah i started playing when i was around six years old um down at medway and I just used to watch my sister and I couldn't wait until I got my opportunity. And I was really lucky that my mum also played. So I was constantly looking at the both of them being like, when am I going to be allowed to play? And um, I tried to do dance at the same time and I was terrible at dance. So it was no, um, it wasn't a hard decision to make about what sport I was going to continue with. I'm not sure there are many people who where dancing would be all compatible and go hand in hand. Um, I can't say I ever tried my hand at uh, dance, but who knows, maybe I would have been more successful than with rugby, but I'm not sure. Oh, I've heard different. I've heard different. I've heard you're quite a mover on the dance floor. I know. If you've been speaking to Sarah or anyone who's seen me dance, they'll be happy to tell you that I'm more than happy to give dancing a go. But actually, any talent towards it uh, is, not, uh, is not my forte. So, yeah, so I read as well that... When you so you played for the mini and juniors, but when you started playing for the women at Medway, I'm guessing it was Medway. You played with your mum and sister in the same team, the three of you. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. Um, so I so at that time you could be 16 and play in the women's team. Uh, that's now obviously changed. But I actually went to Bath to go to a rugby academy when I was 16 years old, and I had the choice of I could maybe play for a local team up there, or I could travel home every weekend from Bath and play. Medway and it was really important to me that I played one season there with my mum and sister because I knew that I would never then get that opportunity again with my aspirations to go further in rugby I knew that you know if there was ever going to be a year to play senior women's at Medway it would have been that year apart from when I fully retire from from rugby now to return back to a few games so it was really important to me um, and I think also for my dad to, to have all these girls playing in one team and um, was quite special for him but it one of the the best years of my life and I'm so glad that, that I did do that. So what um you said you went to academy in Bath what academy was that you left for at 16? So this was for it was like you were going to sixth form and then they had a rugby academy attached to it which Gary Street headed up Um, it ran for two years I think and then it folded it was one of the first alongside there's one in Newcastle not Newcastle was it Newcastle? Hoffle there was also a rugby right. academy going on there so but there was loads of us that went there like Kat Merchant, Nolly Waterman, Kim Oliver um, who else out of that era like loads of us went to, to that academy I knew it was there for a year but um, but yeah I just would make the journey home on a Friday. Um, how how yeah, long is that journey? So it was about three and a half hour train journey. Every um, Friday? Yeah every Friday and then back on Sunday um, but it was really cool like to play in the same team as my mum and my sister was awesome and then I remember the following year when I wasn't playing in and so when I was on the field like my mum's like a little Polish woman so she's got so much like fierce about her and she's strong and powerful don't need to worry about it. my sister reminds me of like how a New Zealand girl plays like she's big strong fast I haven't got to worry about either of them right but then yeah. as soon as I was on the sideline Oh my god, it was awful. I felt like a parent. I, I literally, I wanted to run on at one stage and be like, "Wait, get off my mum!" Yeah. It's so weird. As I, I can relate because I, so I left home at sixteen as well to go to Les Ties Academy, and one of obviously it was, it was different choices. You signed a contract with them, so I couldn't play for anyone else unless they got their blessing. And unfortunately, Leicester. Well, I never asked, but I'm not sure they would have given me the blessing to play for Waterloo Fourth Team uh, with my dad, which is what I wanted to do once I was seventeen. So I always, I don't regret going to Leicester at all, but one slight regret I'll have is I never got that chance to play with my dad because I'd grown up watching him and you, I'm sure you're the same you idolise your parents growing up when you were probably the same sport as them and all I wanted was one chance to pull my boots on and run round him but never got that chance <laughs> hey, you can still do that in the old golden oldies one where they wear the gold shorts yes <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I, I'm not sure I'm not sure him in those gold shorts ending anyone wants to see to be honest with you um, <laughs> So I just want to take it back a stage to obviously coming through from six, playing the main juniors. I think you play with the boys till you're 11, don't you? I think was it still the, now? Is it the same then? 12, yeah. 12, yeah. Um, now, if you're a six, seven, eight-year-old girl growing up, you can flick on the TV or flick on a live stream and you can see the Rachel Burfords, Emily Scarrett's, Abby Ward, Sarah Hunters of this world playing on your telly and you can go, I want to be like them. And it's brilliant. And we'll get into it later, the women's game, women's sport in general. It needs more publicity it needs more coverage in my opinion but the fact you can do that 
five years ago you couldn't even in my memory you couldn't do that so I think that's an excellent thing but obviously when you were growing up playing you couldn't do that so did you get much opposition to uh you're a girl why are you playing rugby or because your mum and sister were there at Medway was it just the natural thing everyone's like oh the birth of girls play rugby and that's just part of the club yeah I think upon reflection I reckon that actually because I saw my mum and my sister play I thought it was normal but then yeah. when you stick over and I go to school like everybody's like oh my god you play rugby or oh, no one start on her type thing and it was like I'm just playing a sport so I think there was parts of both like I'd look at my mum and sister and think this is completely normal I'm just doing what they do they're adults so of course it must be okay to do and but then when I was at school you know there's nobody else that played rugby certainly girls um in my school and they always saw that as a bit of a oh you're really tough and hard or don't start on you and just had like that perception of it um so I didn't have many enemies at school that was a good thing that's always good <laughs> anyway, so- to kind of so growing up, apart from your mum and sister, who were your rugby idols growing up? So my my earliest memories of rugby players were Mickey Skinner. Right. And then like later on in life, I, I realised that he's actually a Kemp boy. He's down at yeah. Seven Oaks Way. And so like there was lots of sign of connections. He's part of the Wooden Spoon and so am I. Um, but I just remember when the, the club, rugby clubs were packed with people and the Six Nations were on and I just remember the commentators being like Mick the Munch and just his hair and everything about him and his really high shorts and just how he played, it just drew me into him. So he was one of them. And then um, the other one, which is, this is why it's so powerful to have role models go into grassroots clubs, was Dan Luger. He yeah. came to our rugby club for like, um, he, he was a winger for anybody who doesn't remember him. He came to our rugby club. I can't even really remember what he did. He was just there and he signed my shirt. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, he's amazing. I want to be like him. I didn't yeah. even really know him, but just the visibility and the fact that he was an international and he was at our club made me idolise him. And I think that's why I find part of what I do now really important that we get role models in front of young girls so that they go, oh my God, I want to be like them. Absolutely. I did the same with the Rogues on... Um... When I was young, Waterloo, Philip Saint Andre was the DOR at Sale. I'd never heard of Philip Saint Andre in my life. He came down <laughs> to the club, and I was just like, "This man is amazing." It wasn't even a play; it was DOR. And I went home and I got on Wikipedia and I found out everything about Philip Saint Andre. And for a good three or four years, I just became like this Philip Saint Andre fanboy. And people were talking about rugby. <laughs> I'd like, yeah, but Philip back in the day. And I'm like, Joe, what are you on about? What do you mean, Philip back in the day? And it's so true. Like, it's I think. We as players sometimes don't realise like that hour, hour and a half on a Sunday morning at a rugby club, it's very flippant. It's very easy to be like, oh, it's nothing I don't want to do or I want to stay in bed. But actually, it means the absolute world to those kids. Like, even if you are not, you don't think you're a big deal at all. Like, you've got 84 England caps. I've got zero. But still, when I used to go down to Jersey, the million juniors, they just they just worship. They don't care if you're a superstar yeah. or if you just play. It means the world to them. I think sometimes we can forget that we were all that eight, nine-year-old doing the exact same. Um, 100%. What age then, Berth, did you decide that you wanted to do rugby more than just a hobby? Like, more than hobby. I realised when you were coming through, you couldn't be professional at the start. That's come later. But when did you realise, first of all, I've got a bit of a talent for this, that like I could be good. And secondly, right, I'm going to do the work. I want to play for England. I want to have this as a career. When, when did that flick switch? No, that flick, um, that switch flick, that switch flick, <laughs> not that flick switch. <laughs> when did that switch flick? Maybe we'll start a new one. Um... I think probably around quite early, around 13, 14. And I remember being invited to a like England performance camp. And I remember on that camp, things like drug testing were being talked about, nutrition, performance. And I just remember thinking, oh, this is amazing. And I really want to like do the best that I can in it. And I don't want to, because growing up in school, I wasn't, I really wasn't academic. So I never really found like a passion in maths or science or anything. All my passion and all my care was like, I want to play rugby. And um, and so I remember like some of my friends, they were like smoking and started getting to a bit of drugs. And I just like, there was no, no like intention for me to ever want to do that. And I think just from that one England camp where they were talking about, you know, where you could go with it and bringing in, like even having that conversation, like drum test this, drug testing insisted in sport so don't be thinking about it. and like I think just moments like that made me think yeah I don't want to go that path I want to go this path and so probably quite early on I reckon like 13 14 was the the real sort of turning moment yeah and then 
So you went to the academy in Bath, like you said. Who was your first senior club in the top level? So obviously now you play for Harlequins, who are playing in the Allianz Premier 15s. But for anyone who doesn't know who's listening, the Premier 15s is only in its fourth season, I think, now as a competition. It had its three of the Tyrrells, didn't it? And then this is its first with Allianz the sponsor. And Harlequins only got a women's side just before that, didn't they? I think the year before that. Who did they um, amalgamate with? Who did they amalgamate with? Uh, with Alford Bulls, who were in the previous Premiership, yeah. but because they're quite a low-level club, don't have much investment and infrastructure, they still wanted to have a part of kind yeah. of Premiership rugby, so that's why they came together. So, were you playing for Aylesford the whole time before um, before Harlequins became a side and amalgamated? Was Aylesford your club that whole time through? No, so my my club history is quite. I've got a few clubs that I played for. I, my all, first ever club. All the best people do. <laughs> all the best people do. We've all been around the block. Exactly. You just got to move to the right areas that work for you at the time, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um. So yeah, I start my very first Premiership club was Henley Hawks, yeah. and they were amazing because they they were actually really supportive in terms of financially. They provided my dad some travel expenses. Because okay. it, was, it was over like a two-hour drive. And we, we went in a position where we could just afford to travel to any club yeah. and fork out that expense. So they were hugely supported. I played there for a couple of seasons before moving to Saracen, where I played three seasons at Saracen because I was living in North London. Right. And then I moved across to, I was living in Richmond. So then I went to play for Richmond for three seasons. Um, and then I went across to the sevens full-time program. So then we weren't we weren't necessarily attached to a club fully. Um, and then I had a bit of a re-evaluation. It, it was like 2013. And I had been obviously gone to brilliant top-level clubs like Saracens, Richmond, um, great people, great teammates. But it was taking me an hour and a half every, every time to travel yeah. there and back. I was working full-time. Uh, you know, costing me money, and I just didn't want to do that anymore. And Thurrock, who are literally 20 minutes over the bridge from me in Essex, they came to me and said, look, you know, because they got promoted into the premiership. Yeah. And they were like, oh, look, we'd love to have you come across. And I just thought for for a different way of life, I want to try that. Um, so I played there for a season. I got injured really early on, pretty much for the majority of the season. Um, and then... The following year, they got demoted, and I decided that I wanted to finish what I started there. So yeah. I played a whole year in the championship, and then that was actually the year that I played my best rugby, and the year that I got the England Player Award. And right. I don't know if it's kind of that mental switch and that whole change of, you know, not having to travel so far, expenses aren't on my mind, or, you know, trying to get up to work early in the morning. Like, those things weren't there that allowed me to just relax and play. Um, uh, and then after, sorry, go on. I was just saying, that's a brave decision. And so that was 2014, was the year you won the award. In a World Cup year to decide to play Championship rugby, that's, um, that we, we worried about that. Was that a huge risk? We were like, is this going to affect obviously not playing other internationals week in, week out? Were you concerned about the risk that might take in your form? Like, obviously, you say it worked out brilliantly. You played your best rugby, you won the England Player of the Year, you won the World Cup. As years go, it's not a bad one. But when you were making that decision, were you, were you nervous about that? At the time, no, because originally we were going to be, we were a part of the premiership. And I remember having conversations with like Gary Street saying, what do you think? And he said, well, you know, you're still going to be working on all your fundamentals. There's nothing going to change there. Your off-pitch training is going to continue. And and if anything, because because we were really quite dominant in the championship, yeah. it, it changed my attacking game. So it added more to that where, you know, my defensive game has always been pretty good. So actually it just opened up a different challenge and a different opportunity for me, you know, taking on some different leadership roles and stepping into that. So there was lots of, you know, I never thought that this is going to be detrimental because at the end of the day, I was still playing, still playing um, high level, maybe not the highest level. But um, yeah, I felt that I could still get exactly what I needed from it. Yeah. And like you say, absolutely. And then I went to, so as I was saying, then after, after the, um, we then went to, I don't know what you think about this 2014 played the World Cup and then went across to seven for two years yeah so then even though I wasn't um, playing club rugby I was still affiliated to Harlequin uh, not Harlequin to Farrick and then come 2017 when I was transitioning back into 15 I then had to decide on what club I wanted to go to and that's when I decided to join up with um, Harlequins and Alfred at that time Right. As I say, it's a um, 
it's a brilliant <laughs> no, no, it's a brilliant route round the clubs. And I say every club, there's a good reason you're at them. They're all excellent clubs, and I th- I'm a big believer of it. All it all adds up to where you are now. And if you hadn't done those two years at Thurrock or Saris or whatever, there would be bits of your game you don't have now. Like if I hadn't been at Leicester and then gone to Gloucester, there'd be bits I wouldn't have done if I hadn't spent three months on London Welsh and seen some of the tough times. I was at London Welsh when they went when they went bust. Like I learned a lot about oh, off pitch stuff there that you can carry into other clubs. So I think you learn everything. I think being at different clubs is a great way of learning. And it definitely makes us better players. I think more importantly, better people. Something you spoke about there that I have zero knowledge about beyond under 12s tournaments is, seven, is sevens rugby. So you've, <laughs> as you said, you've bounced from 15s to sevens a few times. Um, how does that affect, obviously they're very different games. How does that affect your training? So physically the demands are hugely different. So do you have to be in completely different, different physical shape to perform well in the sevens and then the 15s? Yeah, I think early on, so I first got capped playing sevens in like 2004 and probably for like the next sort of 10 years, lots of us went from 15s to sevens, but there wasn't a load of tournaments. So the focus around, I mean, if you look at the World Series now, there's no way that I could literally play a 15s game today and then fly to Hong Kong and play yeah. next weekend. That's literally what we did in like yeah. 2010, I think, something like that. So I think it's very different to where it is now. Before you could get away with just doing one set of training and then going on and playing both. But now it is really quite bespoke because of the the level, let's say the World Series operating as it normally does. You know, the legs, the travel, the the commitment that you have to put into seven, you've got to be, you know, high repetition of high speed constantly. Yeah. Every may look at that game and go, oh, it's only seven minutes each way. That's not a lot. You'll be fine try working at those high meters for that amount of time it's really really difficult and you know so to be in that physical shape you probably need to be a little bit lighter you know a little bit less body fat whereas in the 15s you can probably have a little bit more because you're if you've got to be able to go for longer so you need different yeah. stores Um, there's a lot more collision like close contact collision as opposed to high speed collision in seven so yeah definitely now you've got to have like a tailored program where either you're able to fill it facilitate both um because there are come like with the situation we're in now we've got a lot of girls who obviously were yeah i was about i was about to ask this do you think we're seeing this the other way now because unfortunately the sevens program had their funding cut due to covid and that's a whole different conversation that we won't get into but because of that a lot of the players have come back to 15s and now if they haven't been playing 15s for two or three years i've watched the development of the premier 15s through watching sarah and watching the games obviously it is a different game. It is a different sport to it was two or three years ago. The intensity, the pace, the physicality is through the roof. Do you think we're seeing the flip side of maybe some of these sevens girls have come back and the adjustment period that we all obviously is going to be has taken a little bit longer than maybe we thought because it's such a different game now? Yeah, I think it has slightly. I think if you were to, you know, look at somebody like Deborah Fleming who lights up the sevens pitch, right? Yeah. And you know that she's about, but do you see that side of her in the Premier 15 necessarily yet? Probably not, because she's not necessarily getting those opportunities that she would in a sevens game. So I think it is taking them a little bit to, to adjust to it. But I think they're, I think what, if you were to talk to any of them, like Beth Wilcox is in our programme at Harlequins, you know, she still has got her heart set on going to Tokyo. Yeah. So what she's doing is she's maximising her time to be the best player that she can be. So all the skills are still the same. Let's be like frank there. Yeah all the exact same, but the energy systems of your endurance and your fitness do need to be different and your speed. So she just works with the coaches to make sure, and the S&C, to make sure that she's either got top-ups or that she's got to work at a slightly higher intensity so that hopefully when that opportunity does present, that she can go back to 50, go back to seven, sorry, and play seven, that she hasn't got this whole new energy system that she's now got to re-adapt and change again. She's kind of still ticking over. Yeah, it's it's not a situation I uh, I envy them at all, being in between the two of wanting to play 15s, but also being, of course, you've got your heart set and going to Olympics. Who wouldn't? So it's a, it's a tough one. It is, and I think they're doing very well. And I think for the game in general, having these girls back 15s at the moment is only good for the game because they're excellent athletes, they're excellent players, and they're improving the product of 100%. the early 15s. Um, but if I could sit here all day and talk to you about the intricacies of rugby, I love it. I am 
short stereotypical doors <laughs> but I'm not sure that would make for the most I think we'd end up losing, losing a few listeners if we got into too much more detail so I want to talk a little bit about women's rugby but women's sport just in general now off the field and again, that you write your column for rugby pass you present the women's rugby pod and you're the founder of girls rugby club which we will speak about briefly but I just want to speak to you a bit about it's been quite um rocky two weeks for women's rugby in England the fact that we've had the postponement of the Premier 15s and the Six Nations announced in the last week or so. What are your thoughts on those both being postponed? What um, do you think is the right call? Is it frustrating? Obviously, health comes first with COVID, but we're seeing other sports going ahead. And I'm playing for Ampton in the Championship this season. We're still getting ready for our season to start on March the 6th. So how how is your feeling on the fact that while some men's sport is carrying on, the women's has had to be postponed? Yeah, I think naturally it's disappointing. We want well, you'd want the Six Nations to go ahead, but I think you know for the integrity of the tournament, you said that you know you're preparing, you're training like you're going to start your season. But all the teams are with the Six Nations. You know, England have only been the team that have really been consistently playing. So you know, players in Ireland have, unless they're in England playing in the Allianz Parisian thing, they haven't played since last March. Right. They've been training, but they haven't played any rugby. France, again, they had to have a big pause. They're only just starting up their league again this month. Um, who else? Italy haven't played any rugby. Scotland haven't played any rugby. Only the, the handful of girls who are playing in the Alliance. So how can you go into an international tournament, which is known as the, you know, outside the World Cup, it's the next best tournament in rugby. Yeah. So how can you go into that tournament where England are already the favourites to then go, right, OK, well, we're going to play Ireland this weekend and they haven't played for a year. Yeah. It, yeah, so I think it. I think it's completely the right thing. It opens up such a big opportunity. I mean, there's already been talks before the rearrangement that the window is going to get moved anyway for opportunities um, that we've that have been spoken about. So I think I think it's disappointing. Wanted it to happen, but at the same time, I do think it's the right thing for the tournament for sure. Yeah, and what about with the Premier 15s? Because for people who don't know. The Premier 15 this year has been played under adapted laws to try and minimise the spread of COVID as there is no testing, there's no funding for testing for the Premier 15s. Now, with the new strain and everything, uh, it's the decision has been made to postpone it because too many games are being cancelled, etc. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Beth? And what, what's it been like playing under the adapted laws with, without testing? How has how's that been? So, playing about the laws... Um... I can't believe there's so many of us that are saying it. We miss scrums. There it is. There it is. <laughs> right. You, you know what? I might, I might finish it there, <laughs> sign off, and we'll just have Rachel Burford misses scrums as the headlines of this podcast. Oh, oh, it's true. It is so true. Just that, you know, the opportunity to reset, go backline v backline, it's just gone. And right, let's, you know let's, let's, is, let's call it what it is. The chance for you backs to have a rest. Let's call what it is here. While I'm pushing, <laughs> while I'm pushing with every bit I've got in that second row. Oh, you don't push, up. do you? Oh, no, you don't I push. push. <laughs> I push, but also I have to stick my head in some quite unsavoury places there. So, um, you backs are out there, have a cup of tea, have a cup of coffee, have a chat, whatever you want. So, um, that's oh, what you miss. You miss the rest. Oh, I go. She doesn't push. She doesn't push in the back row. Don't know. She can't. She can't talk. We can't talk about this on here because it's our special move. But has she told you about our special play? No, I will have to hit her up on it right. after this and find out what it is. I will find out. I will find there out. There we go. Um, but no, so apart from missing scrums, what else has the <laughs> new laws been like? Um, yeah, it's just, it's quite high tempo. So, you know, every time there's a knock-on or a forward pass, there's no scrum. So we're just resetting very quickly. What the referees have tried to manage is not allowing all those free kicks to be tap and go because naturally yeah. in a game you'd stop form a yeah, scrum yeah. but your general uh, free kicks that that wouldn't be for those adapted laws then you can tap and go quickly um so yeah it's, it's been okay it's like like i said we do miss having the the scrum especially at harlequins like our scrum is such a weapon yeah so you know on penalties you can't call for a scrum so that yeah. kind of takes that that opportunity um, away i've tweeted a few times watching your games when i watch harlequins play feel like watching the Harlequins pack at times is like watching the extra Chiefs men's pack of when they get into the 22 it's almost just a matter of it's not an if it's a when they score uh more yeah. or scrum penalty it's it's the sort of pack you love to play in and I'm sure you love to play behind because the front football you get is just is just um excellent yeah it's 
it's a sense of inevitability when it's a five meter line out of okay this is going over it's just how many penalties the opposition yeah. give away before it does uh it, it makes me very excited i love rolling malls so um i very much enjoy them <laughs> um so obviously i said it's been postponed what are your feelings on that because i was speaking to sarah about it, obviously so yeah. people who don't know sarah's my sister plays at harlequins with uh with rachel um i was quite strong in my wording of i think it's poor at best that the women's premier competition isn't being funded for testing while the men's second division the championship is going to be funded by testing i think that's wrong i think the men's premiership teams are paying for their testing so i was at gloucester when it all started and we they pay for the testing and i understand that women's premier teams can't afford that it's expensive i get that if the rfu or this government funding is going to fund the testing which i believe it is i may be wrong but that's how i believe it's being done for the men's second division I feel that the women's first division should come before that. Now, what S said to me, Sarah said to me, that was we're all professional pretty much. A lot of the girls who play in the Premier 15s have other jobs as well. So they're at, they can't minimise their risk of catching up elsewhere. So she was like, I can understand why they wouldn't then test us because we can't do our bit and minimise the risk. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on it because I still feel quite strongly that the men's second division shouldn't go ahead before the women's first. That's my thought on it. But I'm interested to see what, what you think. Yeah, it's a really tough topic, isn't it? Because we're talking about money at the end of the day, which the women game doesn't have piles on. And I think if you remove, I think that the way that it's been done is that England women have been tested and rightly so because they had the Autumn Internationals, they're preparing for it. They've closed out the Six Nations as well, which I think, you know, that money then that got put into that has been taken somewhere else. So it's not like there's new money or anything. Um, so it is a difficult one. I do think, like Sarah's got a really good point, most of our players can't get tested and then not make any contact for the next two days before they get their result back. They've got to go to their work or they've got to be around people who have jobs. And, and so it is a bit of a logistical nightmare for that game where, where we aren't all professional. I think the two-week break was the absolute right thing to do. I think when you're looking at it, when you're in the thick of it, you're like, oh, God, we just want to play. We've been playing. We feel fine. Yeah. Everything's good. But then when you sit back and actually you come out of that bubble and you look at what's going on in the world, and when you've got, you know, a men's programme that is fully tested, going, do you know what? We need to have a, a bit of a break here. Let's hold off for two weeks whilst the infection rates are going up. Then how on earth could we even see that we were going to play? Like, I think we saw that coming. And, like, obviously, there's been reports saying that testing is going to come into place. Again, we don't know who's going to pay for that, how it's going to get paid for, what it looks like. Um, because, like, talking to some of the England girls, like, Shauna Brown says it, it is really like a logistical nightmare you go on a Monday have a test can all the players get there on a Monday to have a yeah. test for one and then you have to wait until I think they try and get their results on Wednesday by four o'clock to then be able to do contact it's, yeah. it is it is really difficult and you know that's not to say that we shouldn't do it because it's difficult uh, it's just trying to work out what is best suited for the game um, yeah. and I think obviously like the men your championship hasn't gone ahead probably because the funding's been put elsewhere it's like where does where does the line draw yeah like, it's, who, who gets to it's hard is i would not want to be the person making the decisions uh and i think at the end of the day the safety of everyone has to come first i think we're all in agreement with that but i very very much want to see uh you girls back playing soon uh i said we we're going to move away from on field stuff and we got really technical about scrums again so i'm going to try and keep <laughs> it away but before we do one of my one of the greatest part of being a professional player is that you have a lot of spare time and you drink a lot of coffee now we've spoken off air so i think i know the answer to this but what is your relationship like with coffee uh rachel well do you know what this week i've actually been trying to cut down because <laughs> I, th I, I think i've just had got this habit now of like oh i just fancy a coffee i'll have one so yeah. i'm trying to do a bit more decaf but but yeah it's just my relationship's very close to coffee. Yes, as is mine. Um, and this, <laughs> yeah. this podcast is this obviously... Is yes, this is what I'm going to get onto. Look, I'm trying to do my plug here. I'm trying, cool. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be a good, good sponsored person. I'm trying to make it look natural and seamless. <laughs> um, we are powered by 90 degrees and they very kindly sent you something. You pointed to some story yesterday, which is very kind of you. Um, you've got it there in your cafeteria. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, genuinely. I was going to... You were mid-flow when I took my first sip. Yes. I didn't want to cut in yes. and be like, I love it. No, it's really good. Um, I use a lot of the time like like capsules, so I definitely need to get back into my cafeteria. Um, yes. just from, it's just really smooth and nice. 
it is lovely and they also they've just recently released pods actually capsules 92 degrees they do capture on the website and oh, this is this is going to look seamless now but if anyone wants to go over to the website and order everything if you use bwb20 you will get 20 percent off there it is Woo! seamless seamless <laughs> No one will know it was a Doesn't plug. Sound like you're promoting a tool. Exactly, exactly. Right, <laughs> we're going to get away from on-field rugby to everything you do off the pitch, uh, Berth. So, as I said earlier, you co-host a women's rugby pod. As you can see, you've got your microphone and headphones in. My The guys, Louis and Lucas, doing my editing are going to love you. Um, you write a column for Rugby Pass, and you are the founder of Girls Rugby Club. So let's hit the podcast and the column first. And let's have a real good chat about Girls Rugby Club because I love it. I love everything Girls Rugby Club is about and I really want to get into it. So talk to me about your podcast and your uh, column. How how did they come about? How do you find them? How do you enjoy doing that? So the podcast uh, started what nearly a year and a half ago now with Johnny Hammond. Uh, yeah. We just both were passionate about talking about the game, getting news out there, getting guests online because nothing existed um, yep. and we felt that it, there's a space for it and by god we've got so many great stories and so much great things going on in the game let's let's create somewhere where you can tune in and listen to it and, and it's been brilliant since I mean I think we've had something like over 70 guests on from across the world we've got listeners in every corner of the world um, and yeah it's just been it's been such so well received um, and it's just a great opportunity to, and a great platform to, to talk about what's going on. You know, yeah. week in, week out, we talk about the Allianz, we talk about the rivalries, talk about what's going on. Um, and it just, you know, gives people a chance to also hear yeah. from like the likes of, like you said, not just always seeing them, but hearing the likes of Sarah Hunter, Sarah Becky, yeah. Kate Day McLean, getting them on to just five, 10 minutes, like, let's know about this, how was this? And yeah. then that will spark with somebody somewhere. And it really, it's the women's rugby pod and it really is an excellent listen. I, I'm subscribed and I listen to it weekly on my, I drive quite a bit to rugby now to get to Ampton, it's a bit of a commute and it passes my drive uh, very easily. <laughs> so I would absolutely, if you've enjoyed Listen to Birth here, I absolutely recommend you subscribe to that on, it's on Apple Podcasts on Spotify, isn't it? And I yep. recommend you get over and subscribe to that. Uh, alongside that, you've got a new column for Rugby Pass, haven't you? How are you finding that? Yeah, really pleased with it. It's like it's my first kind of writing opportunity. And anybody who knows me knows like like I said earlier, academically not great. So for me to kind of step out my comfort zone and work with them to do that in, is really cool. And to talk about current topics, to pick out stuff like my article this week is all about and you'll love it because it's all about like embracing like WWE, NFL yeah. characters. I, I just saw that. that before we came on. I literally was flicking through Twitter before we came on and I saw that. I'm going to go and read it straight after. I, if I was a good host, I would have read it before we came on, but I didn't actually <laughs> see it till literally a minute. So I've got some uh, work to do there. But um, no, I think I'm I'm very fortunate. I have a column for Talking Rugby Union as well. I think it's just a great way to, you want to get your opinion across, but Twitter only has 280 characters. It's just not enough. And it's it's a good way to, stimulate conversation if there's something you're passionate about I think just it's a good way to get your thoughts across and get um, feedback from people and try and start a conversation about yeah. things that you feel are important um so no I'm very very much look forward to seeing what you have in the coming weeks with your column but as I said you are the founder of Girls Rugby Club now I know a lot about Girls Rugby Club first of all because I love it but also my better half works for you for Girls Rugby Club so I'm often Yes, so I'm, so I'm often I'm often hearing about all the brilliant stuff Girls Rugby Club is doing. But for the people listening who aren't fortunate enough to have a better half who works for Girls Rugby Club, would you just like to explain what it is, what it does, and why you thought it was so important to start it? Yeah, so I guess in a nutshell, we're a global community. We want to be a global community, like an online rugby club, in essence, and try and plan and provide a platform for young girls that they can see and be and believe and just try and create incredible moments and have this real, we want to be this place where you can share knowledge, you can learn and you can then take that away and then put it into your environments, whether that's at clubs, universities, schools. And we really feel that we can be kind of a hub for women and girls rugby and just talk. There is lots of great information out there about the game and about women in rugby but there's it's not like one located in one place and the other big side that we're really passionate about is you know challenging the status quo and you know trying to make change within the game for the right reasons um and also target things around female like most clothing is either unisex or men 
yeah you know, there's nothing really focused on women's concussion rates or you know menstrual health or mental health and just kind of actually there's so many women that actually have babies and come back and play rugby but there's no real information about how they can do that safely quickly effectively so we want to kind of keep building like it's quite a big yeah. project that, yeah that we're trying to just make sure it's very women specific I think a conversation I was having today was about it as you said the stuff around the menstrual cycle and how concussion is affected differently to women is obviously that's that's not something as a man I've ever had to concern myself with I know how concussion affects me I've never had to concern, concern myself with how the menstrual cycle may affect my training etc but there'll be a load of dads out there who do need to know these things because most daughters sorry most girls who play rugby their dad will be their coach I know uh, dad was Sarah's coach like there's some men don't know these things i think it's important that i think there'll be a load of dads out there who when this information comes out go you know what i didn't know that and i'm really glad i didn't i do now because i can help i can be more effective be more understanding so i think it's just excellent that educating both girls on how these things will affect them but also the male role models in their life their coaches their dads like they need to know these things and it's not yeah it's not a taboo subject to speak about it's it's biology it's science it's it's what happens so yes speak about it and educate exactly. yourselves on it so i think it's excellent you do your um the camps as well which obviously lockdown has affected the moment but i see all the pictures from the camps on instagram and it just looks like the girls and you yourself are just having the best time yeah i i, I genuinely do and i think every time so part of the, the the whole girls rugby club is creating opportunity so running camps where the likes of katie Dane and mclean can come down and inspire a group or like i go along and coach and just you know they are mad and they're hard work and they're tiring but there's like these moments throughout the whole day where you just beam with smiles because you see how much a young girl's enjoying that experience and she's creating a memory that's going to be lasting and that's all we're trying to do is keep creating those memories the girls want to keep coming back want to get better have aspirations um but yeah there's there's so much fun and I think just coming back onto your point there about dads and everything like even though we're branded as the girls rugby club like my minis and junior coaches were men my girls yeah. coaches were men um, the majority of my coaches throughout my life, apart from Giselle Maver and Karen Finley, I've always had male coaches. So this isn't like, oh, we want to get rid of men in, in girls rugby. Absolutely not, because so many of them have paved the path for so many people. My, one of my biggest mentors was my under nines coach, and yeah. he was male. So we just want to help um, educate and support people who are in the game, because we have so many great men driving the women's game for us that actually if we can help them, help their environment then brilliant yeah and I said I think it's excellent and you might not be able to do your camps at the moment but you are doing your lockdown squads on Sunday mornings aren't you over zoom and you had uh it was Leanne this week wasn't it Leanne Riley the lineup you've got for yeah. the next few weeks of crazy you've got Jess Breach this weekend doing speed which probably I should probably tune in for that because I can do a bit of that <laughs> yeah, with speed <laughs> and then um you've got three more haven't you you're doing one yourself aren't you you've got oh let me remember uh Tony Yap from School of Kicking School of Kicking are doing one and then, yep. the, the, here we go, see if I can say it, the School of Calisthenetics. Calisthenics. Calisthenetics, yeah. They're doing one as well. So for anyone who is interested, make sure you go over to Girls Rugby Club and have a look at them. You had, I think, um, just, just over or under 70 people online with you on Zoom on Sunday, didn't you, Doolong, which is incredible and um, good way to keep fit in lockdown. If people want to find Girls Rugby Club Birth, where can they find it? Well, you can go to our social platforms, so Instagram, Twitter, at Girls Rugby Club, but also our website, girlsrugbyclub.co.uk or .com, um, all the information on there. And yeah, the lockdown squad is it's for everyone. It's not just for girls. So we, yeah. like, at the weekend, we've got families, mums, dads joining in, competing against their, little, their kids. It's just really good to kind of keep active, mental well-being. Maybe even a bit of a break for the parents so they can have a yeah. quiet coffee yeah. <laughs> and we can tie them out a little bit. But yeah, and like just added a bit of flavour to it this, yeah. this time round, bringing in Jess and Leanne and, and obviously Jacko, the school of calisthenics. There it is. There it is. I saw <laughs> um, I saw one picture on Twitter that was um, young girl. She must have been about seven or eight, I think, doing the, um, doing the uh, workout with Leanne on screen in a full England kit, like just beaming. And I was like, that's what it's about. Like this, this girl's doing a genuine workout one of her absolute idols and I was like that's just the best thing like seeing that those sorts yeah. of opportunities for these girls so that's what it's all about isn't it really 
You're listening to the Brew Rebecca podcast powered by 92 Degrees. Now, powered by 92 Degrees isn't just some snazzy catchphrase the guys at 92 came up with. They genuinely live it. And I want to take this moment to thank them for all the support they've given us. This podcast is quite literally powered by them and without their support it would never have happened. Now, as well as the support they give the podcast, I myself am personally powered by 92 Degrees in the, in the shape of the caffeine in their coffee. Every day I start my day with a 92 Degrees coffee. And um, if you want to be powered by 92 Degrees like I am, make sure you head over to their Instagram at 92degrees.coffee, their Twitter at 92degrees underscore, or their website www.92degrees.coffee. Because over there, they've got your beans, your subscriptions, your keep cups, independent coffee guides, your aeropresses, and anything else any of you coffee lovers could need to get you through your day. Uh, when you're there, make sure you use the code BWB20 to get 20% off whatever you buy. That's BWB20 for 20% off. We're powered by 92 degrees, and you can be too. Um, okay, so we're going to move on to my favourite bit of any of the podcasts I do, because <laughs> it's your chance, Burr, to say some really nice things about some teammates and say some not-so-nice things about other teammates. It's always a bit <laughs> of fun. Uh, it's never serious. Uh, you've got to laugh at it. So we're going to play a game called Teammates. So I'm going to ask you five questions. And I want okay. you to answer with, it can be anyone you've ever played with. So in the 13 million clubs you named earlier that you played for, <laughs> plus England of the Sevens, it can be anyone from any of them. Okay? So we're going to start with okay. a nice one. So of all your teammates ever, who would you say is the most skillful player you've played with? Oh, um, I'm going to say Amy Turner. Okay. Former England number nine. She's actually on an internship now with England Women uh, right. squad as coaching. Um, but yeah, she was always like the the player right from get go. That was the new era of real skill. Like she was always that one of like flicking it out the back or doing some funny trick with her foot or round her head. Like she just would always have such good um, skill. And then on the pitch, um, she if you were to look at her, everyone would be like, oh, she's probably front row forward. And that's right. when she did finish her career in the front row. Amazing. So you never would have expected her to be a number nine. Yeah. And she was just one of those dynamic, powerful, strong, and just the, her skill set, her speed of pass was unbelievable. Okay. Often you get a lot of nine and tens when I when I ask that question. Less so, <laughs> less so second rows, which um, I don't think oh. surprises anyone. Um, okay. <laughs> so second question. Let's say you've got a ping on your NHS app and you've been in close contact, you've got to self-isolate. No one wants to do it. Who of your teammates would you most want to have to isolate with? But more importantly, who would you least want to have to isolate with for 10 days? Oh. So start with a nice one, start with most, and then hit me with least. I feel like I need somebody who's like good at cooking or is good at entertaining. Yeah. Who would be good at that? Probably Vicky Fleetwood. Okay. She would like cook up really nice meals. She would like she's good entertainment value. She keeps you can fit be as like well. Real chill. Yeah. Well, if you're allowed to train, you might yeah. be allowed to train. In, in your home, you are in your home workout. You can in your home. Don't worry. Don't okay, worry. Okay, right. So and if, go, and yeah, if we're isolating, if we're isolating at yours, I've seen your home. You on Instagram. There's no, there's no issues with this training. <laughs> there's no issues. Okay. So. <laughs> so Vicky's post. Who would you least want to be stuck in your house with for 10 days? Uh, not many people are going to know who she is, but Charlotte Pierce. Okay. She stepped onto the England scene for one season and right. she used to play Love for Lightning. But that girl just does not shut up. She's got like serious Tourette's and I, I would literally, <laughs> I would have to throw her out the window. Um, lovely girl in chunks, in yeah. chunks. You need your quiet time, don't you? You need, like, yeah. I'm reading my book or I'm watching my film or I just need you to shut up. Yeah. Never yeah. ask this. That's always people who are too energetic and too chatty often come under the least. You don't want that. And just chat, chat absolute, like, nonsense. You're like, where <laughs> did that even come from? <laughs> you know what, Bev? I think sometimes you could be describing me there. I think I'd come under that sometimes. The thoughts just <laughs> pop in my head. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to ask someone who what their favourite dinosaur is. And they look at me like, what? Um... Mine's a stegosaurus. That's exactly what she would do, and she'd be like, I'm, "I want to be this dinosaur." Yeah, mine's mine's a stegosaurus. In case anyone was wondering. Um, <laughs> okay, who that you've played with would you least want to have to tackle or be tackled by? So when it goes full contact and training, who are you going? Ah, yeah. oh, I hope they're on my team for this. 
there's a few. Um, Reel them Shauna off. Let's Brown. hear a few. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Shauna Brown, Poppy Clill, um, Brian and Clill. They're horrible. Um, <laughs> Amy Garnet was awful. Yeah. She's just she coaches at Exeter now. Uh, over 100 caps for England. Like a real tough player, hooker. Um, yeah. Oh, if you're doing you over 100 in the you... front row, you're tough. Like, you don't get 100 caps in the front row if you're not tough. Exactly. Um, Heather Fisher. He- yeah. I remember Heather Fisher's classic line, right? She goes to us with it, seven training. She says, girls, like, your 100% is like my 80, so I'll just oh. go 80 on you today. <laughs> I mean, she was oh. an aggressive attacker, the, but yeah. The humble brag there. The humble know, brag. That's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> Uh, what about okay, Fisher? What about to tackle? So who do you who to ball carrying out? Who's the hardest to tackle? And it could be a pacing as well. Like who sure. do you not want to be in open space with? Well, probably would say all of those don't particularly yeah. want to tackle them. Um, but open space, God, somebody like Portia Woodman, yeah, Charlotte Catholic, like ridiculous footwork. Um, but yeah, I mean. I, who do I really hate to tackle? Sarah Burns, horrible to tackle. Yeah. And I normally get all this lot down my channel off a line Yeah, out. yeah, they come off a five-on-line out, they right down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, um, I'm not about well, that. I probably didn't say, one person I think the worst to be tackled by is Linda Atuni from New Zealand. Really? Why? Yeah. How come? She broke my jaw once and gave me a concussion. Ah. Oh, good. Okay, probably stay away <laughs> from her. On the, um, <laughs> yeah, no, just such a good competitor. Yeah. On the footwork one, I completely get it because, like, Portia Woodman, if anyone doesn't know, is New Zealand winger, just the most incredible footwork and pace. And but I was playing for um, Jersey against Newcastle, and they had Snotty Snotty on the wing, and I was like, oh, you God. know what? I was like, it's fine. I'm not going to come anywhere near him. And <laughs> kick chase, <laughs> broken, <laughs> kick chase, broken play. Of course, he's ended up in front of me, and somehow I've ended up in like three meters of space just by myself, and I'm like, ah. Uh, God, and it was like the world went in slow motion. I had time to think about it. I was like, if I try and watch him and react to him, I'm just going to get nowhere near him. So I was like, right, child, what you have to do is just pick a side and fully commit to it and hope he goes that way. So I've gone, right, I'm better attacking my right shoulder. I'm going to throw myself completely about half a meter right of where he currently is and hope he steps into it. I've absolutely gone to leather him. He stepped to my left. I've just tackled air and face back into the floor. <laughs> And we watched the clips back, and I was like, what What are you doing? I was like, oh, I'd <laughs> hedge my bets and guess, and I got it completely wrong. <laughs> you, need to, you need to pull out with a hamstring or something if you find yeah. yourself in that moment. Oh, oh, oh God, a bit of cramp. I've got it, exactly. Would have got him. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and then okay. you might go down as a missed tackle when you're sacked. Yes, oh, God. You go for it. Analysts with their bloody what counts a missed tackle and what doesn't. Oh, oh, there's been some angry Monday mornings. Oh, oh, this is a good discussion. Right, okay. I want your opinion on this because you're a rugby northern, you love it. On a kick chase, yeah, you yeah. chase up. Yeah. You're basically getting in the way so they don't then pass the ball open. Yeah. So they kick down 50 minutes. You're trying to get in the way. They step back inside, but they're nowhere near you. It's not a missed tackle. It's not a missed tackle. Every yeah. week, I'm like, all right, I'm not taking kicks anymore. Well, we had we had Got that it. one with um, <laughs> we had it uh, George Givington at Gloucester. We had this conversation of there was um, we were reviewing our game against Exeter, and I'm a third defender out, so I've flown up off the line, and whoever it was, can't remember who it was, has stepped back inside, so they've glanced my arm and they've been tackled on the inside, and he's like stopped and gone, that's not a missed tackle for me. Because I want that line speed and it forced him back inside. And I was like, happy days. I was like, that is excellent stuff. I was watching it going, oh, he's going to call me up for a missed tackle from the whole squad here. Uh. And he's gone, that's no, not a missed tackle. I was like, excellent, top work. Yeah. Uh, you know, if analysts give me that as missed tackles, I'd be in their office on Monday morning birth with, with the hell to pay. Honestly. Hell I'm like, pay. are you joking? They've seen me and gone the other way. That's exactly. Not... They are that afraid of being tackled with me by me. They've <laughs> run away. Uh, right, I've got two more for you. If you were out for a coffee, which obviously now you've got 92 degrees at home, you wouldn't need to be. That's a good plug. Um, if you're out for coffee with teammates, who, when it came to paying, would be most likely to be like, oh, I forgot my, I forgot my card. I can't. Can you get it for me? Oh, this is so easy. See Pocock. <laughs> right, okay. She literally, I don't think she's ever bought me a coffee in her whole life. And she always forgets her card. Yeah. Ooh. 
oh no, I haven't got it. And yeah, it's literally yeah. like in that scenario. Oh. And and they're sneaky because they'll always let you stand first in the queue. They know what they're they doing. Know you're gonna they order. know what they're doing. And then you just add yours to it. They go, add it to that. I had it with them. Um, I lived with, he's my best mate, Tom Hudson. I've lived with him for on and off for three years. And he, ne- he, he admitted to me a few weeks ago uh, when I moved out of his for the last time, hopefully. He went, mate, you do know all the times we've been for coffee is like, 80% of the times I've told you I didn't have my wallet, I did. I just wanted to see if you'd check. I was like, Thomas, he's like, you're just too good. You just, you just expect me to forget now. So I just say I have. I was like, that, I was like, that is such a horrible thing to admit to. I was like, you are the worst. You need him to take you to gauchos or something. Go yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, and this is my last one for you on this. And you might have to do a little bit of thinking on this. Who, who you played with has the worst fashion sense? <laughs> Um, and on this I tag it on who's always in kit there's someone in every team who is always in kit when they're not around the club like you'll go for a coffee and they've got the Harlequins hoodie on so you just like stop living in kit you don't oh need to God. be in it all the time right well there's two of those which is Rocky Clark right. even now always even in still, like England still. kit yeah even now how long has she been, like, been retired uh, I think Three years, two years. She's rocking up for dinner yeah. in a in a World she, Cup winning jersey. Honestly, she wears a polo out all the time. Um, but Shauna literally will wear Harlequins kit all the time. Yeah. Like also, it'll be like the Harlequins thermal and the t-shirt and the yeah. shorts and the socks. Also, I don't know if you know, but Shauna's now sponsored by Umbro, and you wouldn't know that apart from everything she wears now is Umbro. Like uh, everything. There you go. Yeah. Won't prove okay. Okay. Uh, and you so that. worst dress. Yeah. Go worst on. dress is probably it's always we've always taken the mick out of Maggie Afonzi. Right. Okay. Always used to wear. <laughs> she's got a lot more better dress sense now. <laughs> Somebody must be helping her. But she used to always wear like flare jeans with like sport trainers. That's so not like that's yeah, gazelles that's... or anything like that. No, it used to be like proper Asics running trainers, and we used to like. That's a dad look. That's what dads wear. My dad wears, he wears his jeans and then his Adidas trainers or his Nike trainers. And it's like, oh, dad, like, I can't talk for a while. I said, I like wearing Timberland. So when I ask this to lads I've played with, I often come up. I, I will hold my hands to this. That I, I am not a fashionable man. But I used to, so I like, my, I've got a pair of Timberland boots that I love. And I used to think that I could only wear them with boot cut jeans. I've since found out that's not the truth because boot cut, I have small calves as well. They just look like flares. So I'll be walking around with like my 80s flares on people like, Charlie, you need to sort <laughs> your jeans out. So thankfully, I've, I've, um, I've progressed in that sense. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's like necessarily a um, bad fashion sense because I think it's probably in fashion. But Beth Wilcox literally has turned up to a game once in like tiny little cycling shorts and just this big fluffy jumper. No. And you're like, what? What is that? <laughs> like, really? She's like, she's like, what? It's a good point. Like, some of the things, God. some of the things that are deemed fashionable now make me glad I'm not fashionable because I won't be seen dead in some of them. Um, oh, I know. But then people wouldn't be seen dead in what I wear to be honest. Birth, so <laughs> I'm not going to talk to. Um, right, I have kept you for far too long of your time, so I've got one question to finish, and then we'll wrap it up. In your illustrious career. What's your favourite game ever? If you could go back and live one again, what would you do again? Oh, that's hard because I think I really want to say like 2014, playing yeah. the World Cup final again. Um, would love that. Uh, oh. But I did love playing in the final against Australia in Hong Kong in okay. seven where we beat them and it used to be 10 minute halves and that that's when oh, it's still 10 minutes actually that's oh. who thought in sevens i know what we'll do for the final these girls are all absolutely <laughs> knackered all these men if they're playing let's make the final six minutes longer than it was almost a whole half again for i know like, who's done that charlie it gets worse so in the first half the first break in play was at eight minutes no, thank you. It was you. like end. Eight to minutes end to ball end, in yeah. play. I think you would, have, you would have, I'm genuinely, I think in Hong Kong, if I'd been playing that game, you would have had to call the air ambulance in. I was like, this is it. <laughs> One of our girls did. One oh, no. Girls did. She got it. it was Kay Wilson. She did the length of the pitch and scored in the top corner. 
I remember I went up, I picked her up off the ground, I turned around, carried on walking, and she collapsed. Oh. And they had to say, go up and give her oxygen. Oh, no. It was one of those days, but it was just incredible, like the atmosphere. But and I, and also could say, like again with my mum, my sister. But yeah. Um, yeah, I reckon probably 2014, like reaching the pinnacle and achieving it is probably. I'd love to go back and and relive that and and try and play even better than what we did. Yes. Yeah. Um, hopefully, obviously, we don't know with COVID and everything, but hopefully, the 2021 World Cup is going to go ahead and England can get that. Uh, that title back they haven't had since 2014, which is far too long for England women to not have the World <laughs> Cup. Uh, but thank you very much for coming on today. If people have enjoyed listening to you, which they'd be fools if they haven't, where can they find you on social media to hear more of what you're saying? So my um, handles are at surf12 um, on Instagram, Twitter, and then obviously you can also contact or see stuff that we're doing for Girls Rugby Club and Women's Rugby Pod. Yeah, so, and as I said before, I recommend you follow all of it, get involved. It's all absolutely excellent. Uh, you can find the podcast at Brew with Beckett on Twitter and Instagram. If you've enjoyed it, uh, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you've really enjoyed it, want to be really kind, leave us a review saying really nice things and stars. It's very kind of you. You can find 92 Degrees at, here we go, on Instagram, they are at 92degrees.coffee. On Twitter, they are at 92degrees underscore. And their website is www.92degrees.coffee. Uh, this has been the Brew Rebecca podcast. I hope you've enjoyed. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next week for another brew.